It is January the 13th, 2023, and this is Tips from the Top Floor, episode 927. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right, from the top floor. Ahuga! Hey, <laughs> how's everyone doing? Um, second episode in 2023, hope you had a good start into the year. Um, what are the things I'm doing? I'm, I've been uh, finishing up the glass plate negative project adding some more information some names and things to the photos and in general just uh <laughs> still super proud i have done this uh, i talked about this in the last episode uh, old family glass plate negatives that i scanned and documented and um getting some nice feedback thank you very much everyone who has commented on that very satisfying project between the years hmm what else is new? Oh, <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm recording this on January the thirteenth, twenty twenty three, which means um, that is also the day. Well, at least right now, the Twitter API for third party clients has been, well, has been broken or been disabled. Nobody really knows. Um, lots of speculation at this time of the day. Might just have been a glitch and they fixed it, but might. Might mean that they turned off the third-party client API completely without telling anyone. I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. I give it I give it 50-50 odds that it was either uh, on purpose or not. Anyway, um, and I'm okay. I have to I have to add that I'm an adamant Tweetbot user. That's my that's the main client I use, and um, I suspect that like a lot of you use Tweetbot too. So I would just like to say at this point, just in case, just in case you're looking for me on social media other than Twitter, I'm still on Twitter. I'm just not happy with uh, what's going on. Uh, just in case you're looking uh, for me outside, um, you can also find me on Mastodon. I've been active there since, well, since the big 2018 exodus, Twitter exodus, which not many people remember. I don't remember why that was but um this one seems a lot more substantial so anyway uh, my official handle on mastodon is chris mockward at chaos.social you can find me there i have a second account on uh, chris mockward at pixelfed.social where i mainly post photography it's like an instagram drop-in kind of thing but uh, chris mockward at chaos.social linked in the show notes hit me up uh, to be honest i enjoy the level of discussion and engagement on mastodon a lot more than on twitter so, yeah, there we are. Mm, what else is new? A, a photography new space slash photography piece of news. Um, I think it's been a couple of weeks, but uh, you, you've heard of the James Webb Telescope, I'm pretty sure. And you have probably seen pictures from the uh, James Webb Telescope. Uh, NASA has, I'm not sure when exactly, but... That was new to me. Uh, they have released full resolution pictures of uh, the James Webb Telescope. And we're talking massive resolutions. Full resolution for print, for whatever you want to do. It's, it's in the public domain. Um, 14,575 pixels by 8,441 8, pixel TIFF. 123 megapixel picture of the Carina Nebula, for example. So all you have to do is uh, follow the link in the show notes that 
at the bottom there's a download the full resolution and compressed version and supporting visuals from the space telescope science institute and uh, if you click there then at the very well almost at the bottom of the page you'll find release images and you then you can download the near cam images the near infrared cam images or the mirri composite image or like different kinds of images of the different uh well the different space phenomena out there so yeah isn't that cool i mean i i downloaded a couple of those just just to zoom in and see how amazingly gorgeous they are big super high resolution it's yeah it's fun and isn't it also cool that all the imagery that nasa creates is in the public domain like you can go and download that stuff and use it uh, print it on a t-shirt sell it no problem it's in the public domain um do a show about it do i don't know some people have taken some of those uh sequences of images and made it made them into animations and some people have i don't even know uh d done composites of different wavelengths photos that they downloaded from nasa and so on so this this is cool this is really cool and i really appreciate that so yeah public domain go and check them out link is in the show notes all right uh, this is where we talk about machine learning for a second and the reason is because uh, Adobe is doing something and I wasn't aware of that and uh, I was made aware of, aware of that by Mike uh, through Mastodon. He sent me a question on Mastodon asking, is this true? And it links to a thread about Adobe using all your photos that are in the cloud, which if you are a creative cloud user, that might be a lot, is using them to train their um their machine their their neural networks now machine learning needs a lot of data and for more data the better okay so the the, in the interesting thing is with the current algorithms in machine learning they scale well which means the the bigger you make the computers and the more data you you toss in the better the results that's one of the reasons these large uh, like like these image generators like stable diffusion um, use huge data sets we're talking 5.8 billion of photos like something along those lines we um, again more data is more better right that's that's what they uh, that, that, that's what is interesting about it so um, the companies the corporations have a, a big incentive to get as much data as they can and train well let's say qualified data data that is labeled and there's a good chance that whatever you do uh, in terms of imagery in adobe apps uh, that are hooked up to the cloud like lightroom not classic necessarily but like regular lightroom it all goes through the clouds uh, through the cloud by the way cloud just means it's someone else's computer right it's nothing magical about the cloud. It's it's big computers sitting in data centers. That's all it is, and they belong to Adobe. So, um, yeah, this the data that you upload there. It's it's useful in some way. It's useful for them. Uh, and any all the corporations try to do that, uh, and Adobe is no exception. They have 
machine learning deployed in a lot of their products and of course include that includes their photography products like uh content aware fill that's a machine learning related thing um there's there's a lot of ai based uh, and i'm using ai machine learning and neural networks and everything kind of synonymously here so anyway that is yeah <laughs> they they need a lot of data and they are apparently trying to uh to use um your photos for it and i i received that question on mastodon if that report was true that adobe creative cloud by default uses your photography and your art for machine learning purposes and if you go into okay so here's what you can do do that right now do that right now while i talk go uh, to your creative cloud app like here on the mac it's this little cloud icon in the in the menu bar and then open that up click on your avatar right top and then click on adobe account It'll open a website when you click on the avatar, I think, or when you click on Adobe account, it'll open the website. And then there you'll find an account and security. And under that, you'll find privacy and personal data. And in there, um, there's several like toggle buttons. And one is, uh, is labeled content analysis. And it says Adobe may analyze your content using techniques such as machine learning, uh, e.g. for pattern recognition, to develop and improve our products and services. If you prefer that Adobe not analyze your files to develop and improve our products and services, you can opt out of content analysis at any time. This setting does not apply in certain limited circumstances. Learn more, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the slider next to it. Allow my content to be analyzed, to be analyzed by Adobe for product improvement and development purposes. And <clears throat> apparently that seems to be on by default. I checked on my system and uh, it was off and i remember vaguely remember that uh, and I, I usually do this with all the software i go through and try to uh, Im improve my privacy wherever possible so i'm pretty sure i i turned that off years ago um we've asked uh on the happy shooting podcast we've asked, asked listeners and uh, uh we got some reports of people saying yep that's on by default at least for them it was I assume it is on by default. So, yeah. Turns out Adobe is collecting all... Again, apparently, looks like that. It's collecting all of its customers' pictures into a machine learning training set. And the, the big question, of course, is, is it why is it opt-out and not opt-in? Uh, yeah. So, um, if you're an Adobe uh, Lightroom Classic user, by the way, um, it does not, by default, sync things to the cloud. That's a deliberate thing you have to set up. But then, yeah, those pictures are in the Creative Cloud as well. Anyway, it seems to be on by default. Now, let me try to let me try to sort that into like let, let me try to make sense of this because data have. Uh, for longest time and in, in in other companies outside of Adobe have been sent to the cloud. The cloud is uh the cloud is is an essential thing in a lot of today's computing and it's a very convenient thing. Like if if I if I get a new Mac and I hook it up to to Apple's iCloud, then um, yeah, it'll it'll set up, and I'll have a lot of things 
on there that I don't have to sync over and that I don't have to take care of. And it's automatically like it has my emails and my contacts and everything. It's all, it's nice. It's nice. It's convenient. And the same tr is true with all my other devices. They are, they sync across and they use the cloud for that. So that's fine. Uh, right now I'm, right now I'm seeing a lot of, oh, bad AI, b a picture theft and the artists will starve, all this kind of thing. And that is all projected on to that. But we are, we have been training AIs for the longest time already. I mean, easy thing. The every every key press. If you have a if you have a default operating system, then your web browser, the 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 address bar in your web browser is a Google search. It's integrated. Google pays a lot of money to Apple and others to integrate that because they have well, it, they add value for you. Because while you type, you will already get uh, some guesstimates for uh, the questions that you're asking. Which means every key press goes to the cloud, in this case to Google's cloud. And you train the Google AI in some way doing that. Um, or Siri, Alexa, Cortana, they do a lot of their voice recognition in the cloud, aka on the computers owned by those big corporations so a lot of the things you say after the keyword the hey such and such um but also sometimes outside of that because of misunderstandings um then you yeah your voice gets sent up to the cloud and uh yeah you might not like that um or <laughs> or microsoft edge like if you use Microsoft Edge, they have a writing assistance feature that is opt-out, which means every key press in Microsoft Edge gets sent to Microsoft or Microsoft Office 365. <laughs> every photo, every screenshot that you use in Word, in PowerPoint and so on, even in your emails in Microsoft Office, um, those will be sent to Microsoft 365. I think they call it intelligent services. Which again is their AI learning from you. So, um, but also things that are more more inconspicuous, like captures, for example. Like click on <laughs> click on all pictures that contain uh, traffic lights, or mountains, or buses, or whatever. That is training data for Google's. By the way, capture is owned by Google, so that's uh, training data for Google's image recognition API. Um, even things like Duolingo, if you try to learn a language and you use Duolingo, the, the free tier, um, even that, collects training data for a language translation AI and so on. So that is, um, yeah, I think, and, and that's, that it shows one of the biggest problems those big corporations are beginning to have, and that is that they don't have enough training data for their machine learning trainings. And uh, they'll do a lot to keep getting new data because that's a very data hungry uh very data hungry hungry operations uh training those ais and they might as well have beautiful wonderful benefits for us sometime in the future um but it means that we are giving up some data i think what is i think what's worth the or what's most important here discussing is the is the opt out versus opt in and i think that's where where we can uh, be justifiably angry 
with the corporations if they don't give us or if they don't ask us and if they hide the opt-out somewhere deep inside uh, three or four levels of menus like Adobe does. So, yeah, I think I think that's where my that's where most of my anger goes in that context is like uh, it's it's sneaky. It's 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 sneaky, and I don't like sneaky. I like uh, I like an op- open communication uh, with that to, uh, to to that regard. So anyway, um, let me know what you think. Is that something that you think is weird? Is bad? Is I don't know. Let me know. Um, you can contact this show at tfttf.com/hi. That's tfttf.com/hi. All right, last but not least, um, here's, a, here's a fun little thing that I recently just came across and uh, I, found, I found it really, really nice. It's called the Weird Lens Museum. And the Weird Lens Museum is um, by Mathieu Stern. He's a, he's a French guy, I think, from Paris. And he likes to shoot with weird, strange, old cobbled together repurposed lenses that you usually don't shoot with uh, on a on your on your photography camera and uh, he put all those not just into a website uh, I'll link to that in the show notes um, not just that but he also made YouTube videos about virtually each of those lenses and we're talking like a hundred different lenses probably Um from the iceberg lens that is we really really weirdly shaped to like old lenses from the first world war there's a 3d printed lens there's a, a, a projector lens there's a there's uh, anamorphic lenses there's like one he cobbled together himself there's like all sorts of strange glass that he uh, pho- photographs with and evaluates and then puts them in the museum uh, in that museum web web page it's beautiful it's lovely i'm a great fan of it and i want to help the website get more fans so if you want to become a fan that's um that's your chance the weird lens museum That was it for this episode of Tips from the Top Floor. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being subscribed. You can, of course, follow Tips from the Top Floor on, well, Twitter for now, TFTTF photo, but also follow me on Mastodon, Chris Marquardt at chaos.social, Chris Marquardt at chaos.social. Drop your feedback for the show all at TF at at tfttf.com slash hi tfttf.com slash hi you can write something there you can ring, record a voicemail attach something yeah get in get in touch get in touch i love to hear from you and uh, the following listeners have done well the following listener has done exactly that steve Vradi writes uh, hi chris please help me distinguish my exposed 35 millimeter negative films the question is 
are they black and white or color? A few years ago, I started to refill my empty old color 35mm film canister with black and white negatives. Now it is time to develop them. I have my own lab, I have my own chemicals. The problem is I did not pay attention to mark the two kinds of film. Because all of it exposed is exposed, I cannot determine which one is black and white and which one is color. Could you help me? Do it. Even if it needs some chemicals, I do not want to cross-develop any film. Thank you very much for your answer. I've been listening to your podcast since 2007. Hey, an almost OG. Wonderful. Glad you're here. So, okay, so here's the thing. And this has happened to people, to many people, including myself. Um, you have film in a, in a, in a well, you, you developed, no, you exposed film. It's not developed yet. And you might have, yeah, might have forgotten what film it is. Happens especially with medium format film. But now if you refill your old 35 millimeter canisters, those little metal capsules, then, yeah, it's hard to distinguish. Um, and it's hard to distinguish by just looking at the negatives. Like you could pull out a little, there's a little tab in the front that is exposed anyway. And you could pull that out and look at it and hold them next to each other. But Uh, if you don't really know exactly the films, then yeah, you will not be able to just look at them and tell, oh, that's a black and white and that's a color. The reason you want to keep them separate is that they are fundamentally, well, in some cases, fundamentally different uh, uh, in terms of how they are developed. If you develop a color film in black and white chemistry, you can do this, but then you'll get a very dense negative. It's very hard to handle. On the other hand, if you develop a black and white film in color chemistry, then you end up with an with an empty negative. You you erase everything. It's just inherently different. So yeah, luckily there's a, s a fairly simple method, especially if you have uh, the chemistry. All you need is fixer, and then you yeah you can you can. Figure this out easily. Now, here's what you do. You cut off a bit of the tab, like the thing that sticks out at the beginning of the 35 millimeter film. Um, and if you've rewound it all the way into the canister, then yeah, you're going to use a changing bag or something and do that in the dark. But you, all you need is a little sliver of the, of the tab. You just cut that off with a pair of scissors. It won't hurt. And then you take that tab out into the light That can be exposed, has been exposed already anyway. So it, well, it needs to be, well, it doesn't really matter if it's exposed or not. Um, and then you get a small container, I don't know, one of those, well, 35 millimeter plastic uh, containers, um, like a couple of bottle caps, it's just plenty, and fill that with fixer. And all you have to do is dip those tabs into the fixer, swirl them around for a while, and then, um, and then hold, well, Rinse them in water, underwater for a minute and then hold them up to the light. And the black and white film, that's the one that'll go transparent and the color film will stay opaque. Now, the reason is how those films are made, or how they are composed, if you look at them. Uh, black and white film is silver halide. And silver halide gets washed out by fixer unless it has been exposed and developed. If it has been exposed and not developed and you toss that into fixer, yep, it gets washed out. It leaves blank film back. Color film works differently. It also has silver halide. That's the light sensitive part of it. And you can also just wash that out with black and white fixer. 
like color film that will go out. But it, in addition to the silver, it also has color layers. And those color layers will stay there even if you use Fixer. So after after fixing those tabs and washing them under under the water for a minute, holding them up against, um, you'll see that the black and white film will be a lot more transparent than the color film. Might not be 100% transparent. That kind of depends on the film base, the plastic layer um, that comes in different opacities. But it'll be obvious. If you hold them next to each other, uh, the transparent one, the more, the way more transparent one is the black and white film and the other one is the color film. And there you have it. All right, if you have feedback for the show or a question or an anecdote, go to tfttf.com slash hi, tfttf.com slash hi, and let me know. And again, huge thank you to all who support the show on Patreon. Thank you so much. You do make a difference. And uh, you can also do so at tfttf.com slash Patreon. Starts at a dollar per episode and it does help. It does make a difference. Thank you so much. Oh, and don't forget to check out the Eastern European photo road trip in September of this year. I'll take a small group of enthusiast photographers on a 10-day road trip from Berlin to Transylvania. You'll get to see Berlin, Dresden, Prague, Vienna, Budapest, and the heart of Romania. This is this is a boutique photo tour with an amazing amount of European history, great photo ops, and a tremendous learning opportunity. Find out more at discoverthetoploor.com. That's discoverthetoploor.com. And uh, get in touch if you need more information. And now, go out take amazing photos, be extra nice to each other, and of course, happy shooting! Happy shooting.